You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Rocha. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and this is a brand new program. I'm here with Rabisa Kolakowski, who was with us and on principle last week. We decided we were going to try a program centered on that same idea of life, spirituality that is able to be extracted from all places, including places where people are incarcerated. And I came up with a title called To Stir With Love. Now, of course, most of you are maybe thinking of the 1967 film that uh, starred Sidney Poitier about somebody who was also going into a tough place, like my friend Rabitzchakos, every single day. And just like in the film, To Serve With Love, the, the, uh, the protagonist had to learn the method of how to reach people and get people to not only respect him, but to respect themselves. Our host and our guest, Rav Yitzchok, goes to these difficult places, these places of stir, as they were called in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, maybe not anymore, and brings love to them, the love that is inspired by the teachings of Hashem And it's really part of really the Ava that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Tevei in all of us, to be Merachim HaKobriyosov. So that's enough of a Hakdom, I think, to stir with the love. I know that, can, can you bring us some examples of some of that Ava and humanity that, 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 that either occurred recently or in your past? So take it away, Yitzchak. Oh, thank you, Rabbi Kavlevitz. We, uh, I, a few years ago, I served as the Jewish chaplain very part-time in the Federal Correctional Complex in Petersburg, Virginia, even though it's actually in Hopewell, Virginia, but they call it Petersburg because I, I think there might be another prison called Hopewell and they don't want to get confused between the two, I guess is kind of the story I heard. I'm not sure about that. But in any event, the it's called the Correctional Complex because you have three different prisons, essentially, in the one complex. There's a medium security, a low security, and a camp. Camp is lower than the low security guys could actually leave the prison uh, to go work on do outside work duty things like that work detail some of them those who are cleared for that i remember when i was working there one one fellow didn't didn't come back from his work detail and it was it made it on the news but i didn't hear much about it at work but i'm sure he didn't get to stay in the camp much more after that and the interesting thing was is you would assume if you think of a federal prison a camp, which is going to be for white-collar crimes, that's where all the Eden are going to be. And when I was there in Petersburg, we had quite a few Jews in the low security, um, a few, not a minion, but a few in the medium security, including some, unfortunately, Hamish Eden. And then this was in the whole uh, camp, there was only one Jew. And so I would spend an hour in each of the three prisons there. So this one Jew, he'd get an hour all to himself. Not going to mention any names. Not important. Before you go on, just can you clarify again, that camp was was reserved for uh, more severe criminals? No, no, for for the white collar criminals. So so in other words, so, so, so you had three different sections and 
the section, the two other sections, which were not the white collar crime, those were those were more different types of crime, but the white collar. In in general, the other two, I I would I believe that Petersburg is a specialty prison for for sex offenders because they um they had uh, that's pretty much all I dealt with in the low and in the medium with one or two exceptions. I remember there was one murderer, one spy, and pretty much everyone else was a sex offender. And the reason and why it's a federal on- crime is because they were involved in. Uh- trafficking or things like that why why wouldn't it be why wouldn't it why would it be a federal prison if somebody was arrested for a sex crime generally it's if they went over state lines that was if it, a lot of them were people who were maybe never actually did anything in their life dateline a conservative pension um and if they traveled over state lines like that a conservative rabbi went from Maryland into Virginia, and because he traveled over state lines, that made it a federal crime. In other words, if he traveled over state uh, lines other, in order to meet, if it was a sting operation, let's say to meet some sort of underage person, yeah. and you traveled under over state lines, that's that was a federal crime. And it was actually not; they weren't. It wasn't actually true. A lot of most of them, um, but that's that's what that's what did it. Is if if they went over state lines, but. Anybody who's a sex offender is never eligible to go into a camp. That's that's a, a, a major rule in the federal prison system. Sex offenders are not welcome in camps. So, okay. so this, this other fellow, so this fellow in the camp was was just a, a white collar crime Jew, person who had done white collar. Well, the, the, he, what he was convicted of was arson and insurance fraud, and he claims that. He was pretty much railroaded, and the evidence that convicted him uh, would actually scientifically prove that he was innocent. And he went as far as telling me that uh, he was he was a Yid. He was married to some a woman who's not Jewish. He had a son who's not Jewish, and he told me he said how could, he said they offered him a plea bargain that if he pled guilty, he'd only have to sit for seven years. And if he if not, he'd sit for 15 years. He had a bench trial with no with no jury, and he was found guilty and sentenced to 15 years. And he told me he said, "How could I look my son in the eye and tell him that I lied and said I was guilty when I was actually innocent just to to lessen my sentence in prison?" And that was the that's what he told me. I remember when I told that to my father, my late father. He, he my father. So that 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 to him sounded like he was guilty, but I found a lot of blogs that spoke about this this gentleman, and was really his his tamimus that uh, would seem led him to be convicted. But then it went even. I would say the tamimus went even further. And this is what gets interesting. He, you know, as much as we try to do as chaplains, really the main influence that in, inmates have are from other inmates. I see this, you know, especially in religious realms. This was a guy who grew up in Binghamton, New York. His father was a businessman. And at one point, the business went under and they were members in their conservative synagogue. And when the business went under, the father went to the rabbi to ask for some help. And the rabbi said, you're not helping us. You're not donating more. How can I help you? And then they never, they stopped going to synagogue. That was the end of their Yiddishkeit. Uh, he was a, a, a Yid from 
he remembered Rod Serling. Rod Serling's family, of course. I was about to say that. Uh, Rod Serling, of course, is from Binghamton. And, in Binghamton. Uh, and anyway, he he went, he lived his life. He had a a business in Binghamton, and it burned down. And then a lot of a lot of Jews went to Binghamton. It was a place that uh, it was a big factory town, and uh, many of the Jews in the, in the uh, turn of the 20th century. Uh, that was an address for them if they weren't able to, you know, uh, latch on to the slum areas in New York. So this was a fellow from Binghamton who had had a uh, a rough time uh, his family had in terms of acceptance of uh, in Judaism. And um, around when he was a, a teenager is when when his family kind of turned their back on any any form of Judaism. And he uh, he moved on. He grew up. He got married. He had a business. Business burnt down. I think was a warehouse they owned and not thinking anything of it. He moved down to Virginia and that's why he was sitting in Virginia in the, in the prison there because he had moved, you know, from Binghamton to Virginia. And if five years after the fire, he gets a knock on the door from the FBI that he's wanted for insurance fraud and, and, uh, and arson. So anyway, so there he is a few years in, there's one Israeli inmate. He at the time, because of if you're if you have more than ten years on your sentence, you're going to be in a low security prison. So he was he was still in the low security section, not yet in the camp, which is lower than the low. And by the time to- and uh, there was one there Israeli guy who was makar of him, and he started to get into Yiddishkeit and. And he grew a lot in Yiddishkeit, and he became a Shemesh Shabbos and Shemesh Kashrus and started to daven. And he knew he knew olive phase. He knew he knew how to to read Hebrew. He could daven. And eventually, he wound up being you know when he got lower than ten years, he went to the camp. But while he was still in the low, another Jew approached him, saying that he found a way while in prison to defraud the. Holocaust victims reparation funds from Germany. Are we still there? It looks like we're. No, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. I know a lot about the. This is something that, as my parents, as Holocaust survivors, I know quite a bit about this fund. So go ahead. So, so, so an inmate in prison found out a way to try to defraud the fund, the, the reparation fund, and. And he uh, he asked the other Jews there if they wanted in on on the deal. So this this Yid, who was a very tamimistic everything, he he was so shocked by this by this going on that he got some of the other guys together, and they and they ratted the guy out who was who was trying to defraud the 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 uh, Holocaust victims. So. He didn't think anything of it. Here he is. He's sitting for something that he claims he didn't do. And he just wanted, he felt as a mitzvah to, to, to rat this guy out. He didn't think of any benefit he would get from it. Meanwhile, he was the one who spearheaded ratting the guy out. And the other two, Eden, who were there, who helped him out on this, got their sentences reduced because they ratted this guy out. So while I was, you know, while I was there, I remember... One time, uh, the so you, at the so time the, you were struck. You were struck, Yitzchok, by by the the capacity of 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 what human beings can be. In other words, prison. You're speculating, or at least 
I'm getting the sense. I don't know yeah. if this is the point of your story, but it's it's a big shaggy yeah. dog story at this point. But I think what you're speculating is is that had he not gone through the prison, had he not been influenced, it's possible he would have been the same guy that torched his warehouse and collected the insurance. Like this, this would have been right up his alley. But it's only because of the time that he spent in prison that he realized how unethical this is and 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 it made him a better person is that what you were getting at or am i misreading well, well i i certainly think that you know it, it brought him to yiddish guy i i i kind of believe his story i don't i don't i i don't think he was guilty i maybe it was my tamimus at the time because now i think the prison i work at now i think everybody's guilty but when saying, i was in, i mean when the fbi showed up there must have been uh, there must have been something there must have been some receipts for kerosene or gas or yeah. something that he had bought or fertilizer. There must have been some yeah. reason that they that they knocked on his door. They can't just snap their fingers and say you you torched your own uh right? There must have been some phone records or emails or something that they had. Yeah, or or or, or he took the mezuzahs down, but he, he knew you make a badika <laughs> before you make the strafa. That's that's that the Yankel Miller's joke. Uh, you, you do the badika before you burn the place. Listen, it is something unfortunate that happens, but that wasn't your point. Your point was no, so, so yeah, this I, I to me the fact that he wasn't trying to get anything out of the out of the uh, this deal with with helping the Holocaust with with defrauding the Holocaust victims, he just did it the shame mitzvah. That that kind of points to me that I think he. Actually, I I mean the fact the fact of the matter that. That the uh, federal, the federal system has a something like a ninety-seven percent conviction rate, and most of those are plea bargains. Uh, kind of points to me that that there ha- there has to be some kind of a criminal reform uh, in the federal system. I, I agree. Have you kept Have you kept up with this Pliny, this person? Have you Have you did you Do you have his his, his a- access to him, or you never really found out how to connect him? He's not sitting I, in prison anymore, is he? I I didn't follow up. I did just. Oh, I checked the BOP website. I was there. I think he had five years. Is ready. Only ten years. Yeah. So more than that. He he knew my neighborhood because I I I live near where the Woodstock Festival was. He told me he came, he went to Woodstock and he was just so distinct. He just decided to turn around and he got stuck on the 17 for a few hours. But I, I remember one time the founder and at the time the president of the Holocaust Museum in Virginia came to give a lecture to the inmates. And I, I tried to, I, I arranged a meeting between him. And at first, it was, Jay Ibsen is the name of the fellow from Richmond. He didn't, he didn't understand what I was telling him because he, when he heard about people trying to defraud Holocaust victims, he's like, why should I help him? I was like, no, this is the guy who ratted out the guy who was trying to defraud the Holocaust victims. And I remember I, I, he, he gave me some papers. He asked me to, to bring to uh, Congressman uh, Eric Cantor's office. I brought to the office and I mentioned to him that Jay Ibsen said something. I don't know if anything ever came out of that, but I do know he's out. So, But it, it reminds me of uh, t- today's election day. And uh, after I came back from voting, I stopped. I turned on. The, too bad uh, you can't. Too bad you can't vote where you work, right? Right. <laughs> it's too bad you. Right. Uh, I, I think, as we mentioned on our on principle show, you work in Pennsylvania, but you live in New York, so your That's vote correct. isn't going to really mean much. But if you could vote in Waymart, I guess uh, 
you know, you might be able to save Trump. But go ahead. Yeah, I actually saw I actually saw the president yesterday. I went to a big rally yesterday in in the Scranton area. Were you there when he was talking about firing Fauci? Were you there when they were screaming that? He didn't mention that. He didn't mention that. He mentioned a lot of other things, but that was not one thing that he mentioned. But I guess as but you were saying I cut you off. It's a political day and this story reminded you of of something of a great political film, correct? Yeah, I I I put on the the, the uh the streaming service today and as much as I could between uh, cooking dinner and, and dabbing Marv and doing a few other things, I took some time to review over uh, Frank Capra's very famous 1939 film, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And, and um, I, I should tell our listeners here, I don't know if we're going to have any, but I think we, I hope we will. But that part of what uh, Rabbi Yitzchak does in, in, in his job is actually find appropriate films for the inmates and for the people who are incarcerated, because clearly, um, I don't know if you know if they have access uh, to like the the more recent films, but I think Rabitzkuk has found that in many ways, what works the best is actually and and, and is, is unobjectionable uh, in the prison is to give them uh, some of the great films from Hollywood's golden age or maybe even afterwards and be able to craft lessons of conversation that you can have afterwards. Um, is, is that saying it correctly about what part of what you do there is, is trying to find um, uh, when, when you, when you meet and counsel some of these men of different religions, you sort of use movies to, to spur a conversation, a greater conversation, and maybe to as an icebreaker, even to start out with, is would that be accurate? Well, it's not exactly. I I certainly do use movies as icebreakers and something we like to talk about when I'm talking to different uh, inmates or talking to staff members as well. It's certainly a way for me to make a a kesher uh, between. People who you know, we, I can't talk to them about a tzitzis. You know, we have we have another rabbi who works there, and I can talk to him about a, a you know, a, a mugan avram or or, or a shacharetaz. But uh, and there's one yid who likes to learn a little bit what 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 he knows. He doesn't know that much, and there are definitely people who like to talk about the Bible and other things. But certainly, it's a, always a great icebreaker to talk about movies, but my main work right now is to find actually religious videos, which could include movies um, of a religious nature that we do show to the inmates. They do have access. They have actually cable, and they do actually, the activities department is in charge of showing more recent movies that they, they still have the Netflix DVDs come in. That's so very nice. So, so, so basically, um, um, you know, but as you know, even even a film like uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington can easily be um, seen as a metaphor for like Avram Avinu or anybody who's trying to fight a corrupt system, who is um, uh, vilified, uh, who finds, I guess, what happens to uh, to Jimmy Stewart's character uh, when they when they realize that he's trying to. Um, uh, reveal the corruption involved in the scheme that there that's going on. Uh, he turns right. He becomes like the Russia, like similar to the way uh, Avramovino became the Russia uh, for the world in terms of uh, 
uh, the the Palyavera saying Avram Avinu. So I could see a lot of similarities uh, in that the, film. The Gemara and Baba Basra says Avram Avinu sat ten years in prison, and there's a question whether he was seven years here or three years there. Or Kuta, Kuta, it says over there, right? Yeah. That he was Pekuta. which Kuta uh, and Perda, I think, was the other one. Yeah. Which so again, one was, it might be the alt. Yeah, Kuta definitely was one. Kuta was definitely one, which it seems that's where the Kusum came from. And I think the other one was was Kurd, something Kurda, like I think it could be Kurdistan. Yeah, but but clearly, you know, people that are vilified even uh, completely might actually be the biggest tzaddikim. Maybe that's uh, obviously it it turns out all right uh, in the film. But what what was the point? Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to steal your thunder. What is it that you think you were? What were you trying to extract specifically? And what is it that rang the bell uh, to that Capra classic in your mind? Well, I was thinking about the the Capra film really specifically because today's election day, and also one thing that the president did bring about yesterday was the that he signed a an executive order starting the 1776 commission to try to improve the study of, of uh, American history in, in the schools, and it kind of reminded me of one of the nice scenes in, in, the, in the film where Jimmy Stewart is looking at the, at the dome, and he's talking at the dome of the Capitol, and he's talking about starting a camp for boys and teaching them about how precious it is, the freedom that we have that our, our ancestors didn't have, and we want to bequeath to our children how much we have to appreciate that, and how it could be like being in a dark tunnel and finally seeing the light. And that's certainly a message that rings true to prisoners, but also how people can get sometimes railroaded by their own mimistic uh, nature, that they could be too trusting. You know, this fellow, if we take his story at face value, he, he, he got stuck and almost, you know, and spent 15 years in prison because he, he just told the truth and didn't, at least that's the story he told me. It could, sure. You're right. It could be uh, if we take that. If we take his story at face value, it's along the same lines of how, in the movie, Jimmy Stewart gets railroaded by a system that it doesn't. Uh, you know, it's not too kind to people who who are honest. But in the end, it worked out, and so too with this fellow. It, it also worked out in the end because he was he was his Yiddish kite was robbed from him as a teenager, and now I'm. I don't know where he's holding exactly in Yiddishkeit, but I, I assume he's a lot, you know, I, I assume he's probably still putting on tefillin every day, doing things, and who knows, maybe maybe his wife was Megaya or something, or maybe his son was Megaya, who knows, you sure. know, he, could, he brought Torah. Definitely, you know, yeah. I, I guess what you could also say is, um, you know, even in the, uh, if we go back to the film, you know, uh, Capra has been criticized um, by film historians. In fact, even in the time, uh, there was a, there was an appellation to the Capra films. They were called Capricorn because uh, the sentiment, the, the gushed sentiment. I do agree with you, though, especially the cynicism that has arisen in politics today. Watching a film like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington can make you aware, so to speak, of the swamp, but also make you aware of what it means, uh, how nobility can surface and how greatness is possible. Um, of course, uh, uh, you know, even Claude Rains, who is sort of like 
not the real villain, but the the the, the idol with clay feet who finds himself uh, having to to give in to the system in order to maybe do good in some other way, but he still has to be moxic harab imiuto politics as usual the way Trump paints Biden, let's say. But even Claude Rains has his moment a little bit of, uh, <clears throat> as, he, as you know what happens, of course, in the film, he kills himself uh, at the end of the film. I think they stop him just before he kills himself. At least. Right. But I, I, he tried to. He tries, he tries to kill himself because he realizes as the Shekhar. So even that, that moment of unmasking for Claude Rains is also somewhat of a redemption for him. Uh, as, as, and I think that's, that, you know, as much as Jimmy Stewart, you know, is, is that you know, corny idealist, you also have, I think, redemption for Claude Rains as well. Uh, when he sees, when a person sees the depth of, 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 of how his corruption, what his corruption has done to him, when he sees that, uh, how far he has to go, like when he has to denounce, when he has to denounce him. So I think it really, I think there are lessons all around there on that one. Um, uh, yeah, particularly how much you know Jimmy Stewart was looking up to Claude Rains off from the beginning as his father was friends with him, and of course, so that was and, that was uh, the uh, and and also how Jean Arthur, how she grows in the movie, how you know she sees right. in Jimmy Stewart, you know, something that she had never seen before because she'd grown up cynical. in Baltimore, all That's gritty right. and cynical, and then she has her eyes open that there there could be more, and you know, that's what America really the ideals of America. As flawed as our history has been, those ideals, the, all the flaws are really vestigial from, from Europe. There, there's nothing that's uniquely American in, in, in America's flaws, but, there are, but in America's virtues, there's certainly things that are uniquely American that we have to really appreciate. And it's really been a, a beacon for the whole world, like, like how Ronald Reagan said that, that you know, paraphrasing from the Christian scriptures, you know, but saying that we're that shining city on the hill in a certain way, the, the whole world looks up to us as that shining city on the hill and that opportunity for the world to, to become a better place that we should all be. And, and that the, there should become a, a it's, it's a Zika Harabim essentially, you know, well, uh, well, this sort of takes us as you uh, referencing the Christian scriptures, this sort of takes us to the title of our, of our program, to stir with love, as uh, it says in the Hebrews. Uh, first time I'm actually quoting the Christian Bible, chapter and verse, um, uh, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Of course, in context, it's talking about accepting Jesus, but out of context, I think it is very powerful we have to learn how to stir each other up for love and good works. And if it's a film or a story, it's a meeting, the Baal Shem Tov teaches us that every meeting changes you. Every pagisha you have with someone else changes yourself and the world around you. It's like a Venn diagram. The two meet, and there's a third aspect that develops there. And Rabbi Yitzhak, when you go into those, uh, when you go into stir, when you go over there and you meet with someone and you have that conversation, the world has changed. And as you can see, uh, as it did for, for, for that fellow. So that's about it, my friends, for, for this week. Uh, I hope we'll be able to, uh, to meet you again. And Rebutzkok, I hope next week you'll, you'll give us another uh, fascinating insight into, I guess, human beings in general, and especially, specifically, 
the type of special, and I will say holy work, that you're engaged in. So, that's it, my friends. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us some, uh, give us feedback. It always helps us to realize how we're doing and directions that we can take. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 